Today I'd like to just end this series. We could go on and lift up other qualities or characteristics, but today I'd like to suggest to you that a mark of a great congregation is that it is a reliable witness. It is a reliable witness. And I chose to read today or have read today from 1 John chapter 1. It might be important for me to give you a little bit of a background on what's happening here to the audience to whom uh, the writer of 1 John is writing. It was, scholars believe, written about 50 to 70 years after Jesus ascended into heaven and the Pentecost flame that it symbolically gave birth to the church had begun to flicker a little bit. The way I like to look at it is that the new car smell was starting to wear off. People were becoming a little concerned and lethargic in their faith. They were beginning to question this uh, whole idea of being a Christ follower. Some had even begun to doubt that Jesus was the Messiah at all. You see, when Jesus, right before he ascended into heaven, he gathered the, together and he said, I'm going to go... Um, I'm going to go to be with God, and I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may also be. And if I go and I prepare this place for you, I'm going to come back and get you and take you unto myself so that where I am, you are. And when he said that, many of the believers, the Christ followers at that time, thought that that meant that Jesus was going to come back very, very soon that he was going to come back and he was going to vindicate all of the people who believed in him and who followed him. But it didn't happen that way. And in fact, in A.D. 70, the Romans came and they destroyed the holy city of Jerusalem, left it in ruins, and people were dispersed all over the world. And some of these Christ followers um, who had believed in Jesus as the Messiah began to wonder, where is our Messiah? Why isn't He coming to save us? Why isn't He coming to vindicate us in this awful, awful circumstance? And so many of them were finding it more and more difficult to believe that Jesus was the Messiah at all. There was also this prevailing notion in the culture of the day, um, this contemporary thought that believed that the Spirit is good and all matter is bad. And so by matter, we mean the material world. We mean things like the body. And so there were a group of people in this contemporary culture that believed that the spirit was really good and the body was really bad. And so this began to seep into the community of Christ followers at the time. And so they began to wrestle with, well, if the, if the spirit is good and the body is bad, then why would a divine God up in heaven take up residence in something so evil and disgusting as a human body in the person of Jesus? And so many began to question whether or not the incarnation was even possible. How could God, spirit, good, enter into something of matter, the body, bad. Well, there were some who, although they wanted to subscribe to this idea of the time that the spirit is good and that the body is bad, but they still wanted to hold on to their identity as Christ followers, began to try to rationalize it or to justify it. And so some of them said that 
that Jesus really, uh, that, that the spirit, that Jesus really wasn't a physical body at all. He was just all a spiritual being. It's as if if you walked up to Jesus and you kind of poked him, you wouldn't feel anything. And so that's how they made sense of this. They said that Jesus was not a physical body at all. It would just appeared to be a physical body. And then there were others who said, well, no, Jesus was a, a, a full human body, but that's all he was until the baptism of the Lord took place when the heavens opened up and the Spirit came down like a dove and embodied this sinful, bad human being with this spirit which is all good. And then they argued that just before Jesus was crucified on the cross, that the spirit left Jesus and went back up into heaven so that that bad, evil human body was all that was left. They were trying to make rationalizations and justifications about holding on to an identity as the Christ and yet in this world where the body was bad. And so it's some of those circumstances and many others that you'd read throughout the book that led the writer of 1 John to send this letter. And so what he wants to remind these hearers and these readers are some few important things. And the first thing that he says is remember that Jesus is eternal. A lot of these teachings that you're being tempted to believe now, that you're hearing now, that are becoming more common in the culture and even in the community of Christ followers, all of those things are recent. That's not what Jesus has been teaching. It's not what God has been saying. Jesus has been around for all of eternity. Jesus, there never was a time when Jesus was not. These other things, more recent. Jesus is eternal. And then he says, and you all have heard this man with your own ears. Many of the people to whom the writer is writing had probably had heard Jesus speak, had heard Jesus teach, had heard Jesus uh, have conversations with other people. And so what he was reminding them is that you've actually heard Jesus teach. You've actually heard Jesus preach. You know what Jesus said. He didn't say anything like what you're encountering in the culture today. And so he wants them to be mindful. Remember, you've heard Jesus speak. And then he says, not only have you heard him with your own ears, but you've also um, seen him with your own eyes. Many of you actually saw Jesus in ministry. You saw him teaching and preaching and healing and loving and forgiving. You saw that with your own eyes. Many of these people that are telling you all this other stuff, they can't say that they saw that themselves. But you have seen the Christ. And then he uses another word. Uh, he says, not only have you seen him, but you've looked at him. And scholars believe that this second reference to sight may suggest that what, G what John is really saying here is not only did you see Jesus with your eyes, but you gazed upon Jesus, you pondered Jesus long enough that you were able to grasp the significance of who he was and why he came and what he did. 
And so he's reminding these people, not only have you seen him with your own eyes, but you've spent enough time pondering who he is that you have grasped that significance of who he is. Not sure that these other folks, that that can be said about them. And then he says that you have actually touched him. So many of you have actually touched him. And you know that when you touched him, it didn't just go through. You know that you actually felt a physical body. You know that he actually touched so many of you. And so all of this business of maybe Jesus wasn't a physical body at all, but he was all spirit, that doesn't hold weight. It doesn't match up to your reliable witness. You actually touched and were touched by Jesus. And so he's inviting these people to remember that they have witnessed these things with their own ears and their own eyes, and they've studied the significance of Jesus' life and His death and His resurrection, and they've actually been in touch with this Jesus. So He's asking them to remember that witness. And He says, I'm telling you all of this, so that we might truly be in full fellowship with one another and with God. And he says, I'm telling you this so that joy may be complete among us and within us and around us. And that's what I want to leave you with today as we think about the marks of a great church. I want to suggest to you that a mark of a great church is that we are reliable witnesses. You see, everybody in this room has a unique and a distinct experience with God. It's sort of like a fingerprint or a snowflake. No two one of our experiences has been exactly the same. And yet we have been witness to what God has done in our lives. And we've been witness to what God has done in the lives of others. And we can be reliable witnesses. And so what I want to leave you with today is this. Every single person in this room, you're here today because of the reliable witness of someone else in your life. You either heard them share something about their faith or you saw something about them that they attributed to their faith or you've experienced the holy in your own life in your own way. You are a reliable witness and you are here because of a reliable witness either from God and God's self or from someone in your circle of influence. About a year ago, a friend of mine went to a, a training event. We clergy are often invited to go to these training events. And, and at a certain point in the training, uh, the speaker, the facilitator, uh, invited everybody in attendance to do, an, to, to do an assignment. And so he wrote on the board uh, a phrase. And it said, I am blank, and I am here because of the reliable witness of blank. And he invited everybody in the gathering that day 
to put their name in the first blank. I am Tommy, and I am here today because of the reliable witness of, and then they were invited to think about the people that had been such a faithful, reliable witness of Christ and of faith that is responsible in part for them becoming people of faith. And as I spent time thinking about who those three people would be for me, um, I felt compelled to just take a moment to contact each one of those and say, you know what, I just want to express gratitude to you today because I am a person of faith today because of the way you lived your life, because of the reliable witness that you were to me, and I just want to thank you. I want to extend that invitation to you today. If the person that is in part or wholly responsible for you coming to faith in Christ because of their faithful and reliable and effective witness, if they're still living, I hope that in the course of this next week, you will reach out to those people and just express gratitude to them for the way they lived out their faith, that it led you in part to become a person of faith. And if that person has already gone on to the church triumphant, then I invite you to just simply give gratitude to God. Or maybe you reach out to a family member of that deceased person and you just say, you know what? I'm a person of faith today because of the reliable witness of your dear loved one. And I just want to thank you for that. As important as it is, though, for our names to be in that first blank, we are here today. We who are people of faith are people of faith because of the faith of someone else. It's nice to have your name in that first blank, but you know what? I really want my name to be listed in that second blank whether it's on this side of eternity or on the next, I don't have any idea what heaven is like, and I hope there are not really long lines, but it wouldn't bother me if there's a short line of people that come up to me. Uh, you know, I mean, everybody gets in. You know, I'm not saying that. I don't have to wait a while like I do at Walmart. You know what I'm saying. So, um, But I hope that there is a line of people that says, I am here today in part because of your faithful witness about who Jesus is and about what Jesus longs to do in the hearts and minds of every single person. I want to be in that second blank. And I want to invite you to so live out your life that others might include your name in that second blank too. Ultimately, all this stuff's up to God. But God often uses men and women and children like me and you to communicate the good news of God's love and faithfulness and mercy and grace in such a way that people respond. And if we're seeking to do that, church, if we're seeking to be reliable witnesses to what God is up to in this world, then this church will be a great one. Thanks be to God. Amen.